This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. What up, peeps? Thanks for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, a disability awareness consultant and crippled content creator and host of this awesome show, Andrew Gerza, and I'm excited you're here. Just before we get all comfy and cozy with today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to Roxy, who last week pledged $1 a month to the Patreon to help keep the show going, and because they're awesome, you rock my world, Roxy. If you want to pledge to the show and help keep the show going, you can head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash content. Now, right now, we only have, the, where you get the shows, the, the, the full episodes 24 hours earlier than, say, if you were to download it off iTunes, if you're a patron, but I'm working on other stuff. My friend, Kate Welsh, just created some really cool buttons for me that say ableism isn't sexy which i think is an amazing slogan for this show so so they and i are working on a on a deal to get some buttons out as part of the promotional stuff for the show um and when those happen we'll put them in in as a tier but those are coming in so if you want to support the show right now though go to patreon.com slash cripple content. So, for this episode, I sit down with my friend Ace Radcliffe, coming all the way to us from California, and we have a really interesting conversation, and one that is super nuanced, and was really, really fun to sit down and have with them. We talk about the experience of pain and disability, which is so important, and we don't talk about that enough. We also talk about, in this episode, we talk about coming out as invisibly disabled and revealing your invisible disability to a partner or a number of partners and what that means. We also have a really important and powerful conversation about what the pronouns they and them mean for ACE and why they use them and how that relates directly to their disabled experience. And then they also talk to us about what it means to be a, an ambulatory wheelchair user and what, it, what it's like to blow someone's mind when you show up on a date in a wheelchair once and then not in a wheelchair another time and how that makes people feel 
really weird and what that does to their brains when you're when you're going out on a date with them and you show up in a wheelchair once and then you don't use a wheelchair again after that or you have different needs with your mobility devices. All that stuff happens. Ace also tells us why they call their body a meat cage. We have conversations about about things they dislocate. This was a really fun one to do. And so without me yammering on anymore, I want to introduce you now to my friend Ace Radcliffe right here on episode 112 of Disability After Dark. Ace Radcliffe, hello. Hello, how are you? Do you like Andrew? I like, what were you going to call me? I'm curious. Well, you know, you could, I guess you could come up with, uh, let's see, there's Andy, there's Drew, like, there's a few nicknames you can oh, come you know, up with. Oh, you like, the short, Andy is a weird, somebody called me Andy the other day, I was doing, I was working, and somebody said, hey, Andy, and I was like, I don't <laughs> feel like I know you enough for that to be a thing you're allowed to call me. <laughs> like, the only person in my whole life that I will let call me Andy is my dad, because Andy just feels, it just feels like, and this could be a disability thing, and I didn't want to launch into disability right away, but here we are. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Andy feels like they're patronizing to me. It just feels weird. That's fair. Um, yep. No, that makes total. That's why I asked. Well, that's thank why you. I asked. So I didn't randomly Andy you and act like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, so you are Ace Ratcliffe. Um, I tell me, tell us, introduce yourself. Hi. All right. Hi. I'm Ace Ratcliffe. Um, I am, gosh, what am I now? I am a freelance writer and an artist and a disability justice advocate. And uh, when I'm not doing all of those things, <laughs> that's actually not true. Those happen all the time, no matter what else I'm doing. Um, but my other side business is my fiance and I own an in-home uh, pet euthanasia clinic. He's a veterinarian and I'm a former mortician. So we do that on the side. Well, I, <laughs> I sort of thought when I initially like connected with you over social media, probably a year ago, I I, I added you because I put disability in my hashtag, and you're and you were one of the people that came up, and I think you followed me, or I, one of us, one of us followed each other. I think you followed me, or one of the things I do. And when you said mortuary, I was just like, that's maybe that's like a pun on like maybe their email and they like death stuff. I don't <laughs> like maybe so I didn't. I never actually connected it to a real thing. You really did, so that's... Yes, yes. That happens a lot, actually. A lot of people assume that I'm just super into creepy things, but um, I am super into creepy things, but I am also a former mortician. I did that for six years, and then, uh, yeah, do the death care stuff now. Wow. Um, so when you watch shows like Six Feet Under, is it was that an accurate depiction of what you did? No, it's so bad. It's, I mean, I love Six Feet Under, and, and I actually own all of the the episodes, all of the box sets, but I have not gone back and rewatched them since I graduated Mortuary College because I watched, like, two episodes and was just, oh, they're, they're so bad. They're so inaccurate. They're just, they're just awful. Yeah. And they get some things right, but the vast majority of it is bad. Yeah, I mean... Nobody was watching that show for, like, the accuracy on... <laughs> I was, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it to see Peter Krause uh, just be hot. That's, that's the only reason that I watched that show. Very reasonable. <laughs> um, so, hi. Uh, I'm so excited you're here because 
I have been following you for a while now. Um, so I know, I, I honestly think it was more than a year. I don't, and I think I probably followed you because we follow Annie and Lainey together. Yes, yes. And I can't remember because I know I saw you and was just like, oh my God, that is so desperately a thing. Like, disability, sex, yes, these are not things that we ever talk about. <laughs> this needs to exist. I'm right? someone. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And so, and I mean, I, I just, I remember thinking that your stuff is really cool. And the, the way you mobilize about disability stuff on Twitter is really, like, valuable. And so... Thanks. I, I I think it's really important because you know Twitter is where we get all our where we do all our stuff. Twitter is where I do so much of my stuff. So it's much not stuff. Where I it. It's amazing. It's amazing how much time and energy is spent on that website. No, it's such a community for disabled people who have a thing to say about about disability. It's so like so anybody again anyone who is listening who wants to do more disability justice work, just type in hashtag disability on Twitter and everyone yeah. will <laughs> come up somewhere. You'll find us all. Yeah, we're, <laughs> all, we're basically all under the hashtag. We're just waiting for you to click on our names. <laughs> um, so let's jump into the sexy stuff about the stuff. Uh, you, I want to talk to you about being, about your disability. Could you elaborate on that more for us? Sure. So I... It's a bit of a convoluted story, but essentially I have a diagnosis of a disease called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And, oh yeah, um, you're, like the, you're like the fifth person on the, show, on the show that has that, so welcome to the club. You're like the, the fifth person. Awesome. <laughs> it's funny because uh, a lot of people think that it's rare, and those of us in the community, we, we don't necessarily think that it's rare, but more that it's rarely diagnosed. It tends to disproportionately affect uh, films. It's is a collagen disorder, so it means that your body produces collagen incorrectly, and collagen is in everything. People assume that it's just in your skin, but it is the building block of everything in your entire yeah, body. totally. And it's also, yeah, so it's it's the bricks, and it's the mortar between the bricks. So it's like it's literally a body. lot of opportunity for things to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know of somebody who, like, had... I know of a friend of mine who, ha and they've said it on versions of the show before, um, that were never aired, but they're fine. Uh, they they told me that they were going down on somebody and their jaw dislocated when they were going down on somebody. So I'm going to jump into weird questions for you right now. When yeah, you're, when yeah. you're having the sexy times, do you have like stories where your connectivity is a thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually had jaw surgery in 2013 because my jaw got locked. Uh, it was a closed lock, so I couldn't open my mouth. Oh. Um, and I had to have surgery, and they put an anchor in my jaw, and I still have issues where it will randomly go out. And oral sex is definitely, it's a, it's a concern. Oral sex can really, really suck. So I would definitely say I... I don't give a blowjob like I used to when I was 19. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Me neither, though. Me neither. Spastic CP and biting down on some dick is a thing that could totally happen. Don't scare me when I'm blowing you because I will bite down on your penis. That will, That's a thing that's oh, happened. No. It's a thing that's happened. Um, <laughs> definitely. That and uh, hips, hips dislocate all the time. I mean, my tailbone dislocates, like... 
How do you dislocate your elbow? No, no. Yeah. 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 Uh, You basically have to have, (laughs) I was going to say you have to have a flexible partner. (laughs) I'm a flexible partner. (laughs) Um, You have to have a partner who's really willing to, or partners who are really willing to, to listen and to be very conscious of what is going on in the moment and to be very responsive to that, you yeah. know? So, like, huh, it, it really is a tough thing because I think, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I know that if I'm in a moment where, especially if I'm about to, like, either get to a, some kind of peak with my partner or my partner is about to orgasm, I will tough through a lot of bullshit to not interrupt them. Um, and so that's a hard thing to have to manage on both ends, I think. That yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there are many times where like, oh, my partner's getting aroused. I better like let them, even if my body is like, nope, this isn't working. I'm like, I don't want to ruin this for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're just gonna we're gonna make it happen, damn it. And I think that's like that's totally internalized ableism again in the bedroom. Like like you don't want to be like, oh, sorry, honey, you're about to jizz all over my face. I'm down for that, except my hips dislocated. Like. <laughs> Or my jaw won't open, or, like... Yes, when you think about it, it sounds ludicrous. But in the moment, it makes total sense, that kind of internalized ableism. Yeah, completely. Um, (laughs) I'm just just picturing, like, you in the middle, in the throes with a partner and your poor hip, like, just just dislocating. It's giving me, like, the heebie-jeebies, because, like, oh, because I have subluxation in my hips, too, as somebody with CP... I've had yep. reconstructions and all the things done, so the idea of like oh, the hip dislocating just makes me. Oh. Um, so I can imagine and trying to be like sexy. Yeah, trying to be like sexy in that moment and like trying to like yeah, baby, yeah. Oh, sorry, my hip. Oh god, <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. Uh, yeah, you are probably one of the few people who actually really does get that. I think so many people want to understand the feeling but but no no, no you don't want to understand don't. the feeling the feeling is <laughs> gross and horrible and nobody like i don't want that i don't wish that on anyone it's, it's, ugh, it's a really uncomfortable no. feeling you feel your bones moving out of places where they oh no no yes <laughs> um, <laughs> on my worst enemy <laughs> yeah so you so tell me a bit about like about about your i i, I you you identify as they them and as invisibly disabled, tell me about how all of those identities kind of came for you. Like I've, I know that it can be different for everyone, so I want to hear how disability and how all of that stuff works for you. Yeah. So when I identify or identifying as non-binary is is for me very related to dysphoria that has to do with my disconnection from my body, which I usually call my meat cage. Um, as a result of having such a minimal amount of control. You know, I I never know what is going to be dislocated. I never know what I'm going to, if I'm going to move in a way that causes something to hurt. Um, It's a degenerative disease, so it it has gotten progressively and will continue to get worse over the years. And there's a huge disconnect, um, especially when I was a teenager before I got my diagnosis. I was a really athletic person. I was a black belt. I was a long distance runner. I would spend a lot of time in the gym. And those are not things that I get to do now. And so the dysphoria for me is not so much about actualized 
gender or sexuality. It is about a huge disconnect from my meat cage because I have such a lack of control over it. That, that makes sense. it does. I'm just sitting. I'm just sitting in what you said and like kind of immersing myself in what you said because I because what I'm hearing is that you kind of picked this identity like not picked that sounds wrong. You connected with this and this. I'm trying to be so sensitive to how I'm saying because I don't want to say the wrong thing. You, <laughs> this identity is yours because of disability. And it sounds like disability is a really big reason why they, them, and, and the non-binary identity is important to you because it's a it's a source of control. Yeah, it's, usually. It, usually so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting, uh, especially as somebody who normally looks very, very femme. Um, I'm, I'm really big into a lot of makeup. You know, my eyebrows are usually done. I wear a lot of wigs. Um, to sort of have this disconnect between, you know, not feeling feminine and not, and not identifying as a woman and, and having sort of that neutrality, um, yeah, it's complicated and hard to describe, and I don't often feel like conversations about non-binariness include the reasons that I got there and the reasons that that, that was the path that I found. Well, um, then I'm fucking glad we're having it right now, because it's awesome. Yes. <laughs> well, I would assume that there, I mean, there, have, there's, there must be people out there who feel similarly that I do, who, who have this non-binariness that's driven by uh, body dysphoria that's not related to gender but is related to disability and control and a lack of control. I mean, I know I'm not the only human out there, so so hey, friends. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it's so powerful because I, and I love that it's something you have kind of, you've kind of taken on for yourself and said, this isn't just about my gendered expression. This isn't just about my sexuality. This is directly related to the fact that I'm a disabled person and I don't fit. And that's, there is a really big power in that. Um, you mentioned a second ago that you kind of, you kind of have, you present kind of femi and that's, that's cool. Oh I mean, yeah. I, I'm very lipsticky. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm seeing like, I'm seeing, cause I'm looking at you and I, I'm not seeing like femme presenting right away, which. Again, I know, I'm so glad. That makes me so happy. <laughs> I'm seeing kind of like either or, which is awesome. Um. But do you miss, like, as a disabled person who's chosen they and them because of disability, do you wish that you could be more femme, or does this kind of neutral zone allow you to be femme when you want to be and not when you don't want to be? I think that's part of the control that I like. Is And honestly, I will tell you that this is actually... So I grew up with a very... I grew up with a very southern mom. Um, she is very... She's got some, some Texan Southern Belle bits, and, and to those ends would be, you know, she was the, she is the kind of woman who, like, having her face on in the morning before she goes out to greet the world is really important to her. She is the kind of woman where, like, having makeup on, that's what happens before you go out, right? And so to get to a point where I feel comfortable enough to meet somebody for the first time on video and not be wearing any makeup, which is how I look right now for those of you who cannot see me. Um, I can honestly say I've actually never done this before. Never. Am I, your first, am I your first podcast in, like... 
you're not you're my first podcast without any makeup on for sure oh wow I think you're the first person that i would have uh, i think you're the first person that i've met professionally without makeup on like it's it's a well, big thing for me i feel <laughs> super honored thank you for just coming in as you are <laughs> thank thank you for actually saying that i look very neutral that's that's awesome to me that feels really good Wasn't um, sure, no but I, didn't... I don't really feel like i i feel like i get to be femme whenever i want to because i can sum out that's awesome I want to see yeah. you at one point when you, I want to like send me some photos of you filming out because I want to see this. I will. I will. I really I promise. Do. <laughs> um, uh, so you, in your questionnaire, one of the things you talked about and one of the things you mentioned was that you wanted to talk about showing up in a wheelchair versus not showing up in a wheelchair because you are a, you are an ambulatory wheelchair user. And I am. This is something that is kind of gaining traction thanks to people like you and thanks to people like Annie Elaney creating awesome oh, yeah. hashtags for it to go. Annie, I know you know me. Come on the show and talk about these things. Um, <laughs> but so tell me about tell me about um, what being an ambulatory wheelchair user is and how that affects your sex slash dating slash that, that part of your life. Yeah, yeah. So uh, being an ambulatory wheelchair user means I'm essentially a part-time wheelchair user. I use the wheelchair, uh, A, I, I, I'm fortunate in some ways that I get to use the wheelchair when it is convenient. So if I get somewhere and I'm like, wow, this is inaccessible as fuck, I'm not going to use my wheelchair now. I have that option, which is a huge privilege. Um, but I use the wheelchair when it is convenient. Usually that means if I'm doing something that's going to last longer than about 15 minutes, I use the wheelchair. Um, so if I'm doing a museum or a movie or basically anything, I use the wheelchair. Yeah. Um, it's, it's huge. My wheelchair is, I mean, I, I think a lot of people, especially who are listening to the show, are familiar with the idea. But, I mean, wheelchairs are freedom. And it took me a long time to get my wheelchair, and I love it. And if the world were more accessible, I would use it 100% of the time and not just 85% of the time. Yeah, totally. And you're so right. Wheelchairs are freedom. <laughs> that should be a hashtag. Yeah. That, I mean, I know I know there's hashtags about that, but if that is not a direct hashtag, we should make it one right now. Okay, we need to make it happen. <laughs> need, it should be that right now. Um, I, I I can. Tell me about tell me about your <laughs> tell me about like being being an ambulatory wheelchair user and going on dates and going on like. Yeah. So, okay, so I I had to fight really hard for my wheelchair. So my disease, uh, EDS, is is really poorly recognized by doctors. They usually get, like, two slideshows in medical school, and most of it is, like, EDS means people's skin is stretchy, and that's it, which doesn't make any sense if you think about collagen and what collagen does. Like, it's a very logical... If you think, if you actually take the time to think about it, that doesn't make a damn bit of sense. Now, there are some people who are on the hypermobile spectrum, hypermobility spectrum who are not as deeply affected, and maybe they are just very bendy in a way that's useful for them. Um, they get to be ballerinas or gymnasts, um, but then there's sort of... Porn the, stars, the maybe. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so, for, for me... Uh, I didn't get a diagnosis until I was 26. I'd been fighting for a really long time to get it. And then when I got to a point where I was starting to have such a hard time standing up and it was affecting my quality of life, 
I had to start fighting for the wheelchair, and it got to a point where I looked at my doctor and was like, I don't think you understand. I'm not actually going to leave your office today unless you write me a prescription for this wheelchair. So wow. this is officially a sit-in. <laughs> that's, um, that's, that's to not be super gendered, but no, with no other language, that's ballsy. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely am much pushier the older I get. Um, Good for you. <laughs> So I finally got the wheelchair. He was afraid I was going to become, and please notice, like, there's big air quotes around this, too dependent upon my wheelchair. Ugh. Whatever the fuck that means. Right? Jesus. <laughs> I mean. So at, at the time, I was in a monogamous relationship, um, and we are now polyamorous, and so I am just sort of starting to see the side of dating as a wheelchair user. Um, because when I was dating beforehand, I didn't have the wheelchair. I had the diagnosis and I identified as disabled, but I wasn't using a wheelchair. So actually just within the last couple of months has been me diving into the world of dating as a wheelchair user. Oh my goodness. Start from the beginning and tell me all the things. Go. So, let's see. One of the things that, that my uh, my partner and I, we've been on Tinder and on Bumble, which, oh my God, they're the worst things in the universe. But <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I had photos that showed that I was ambulatory and also using a wheelchair, which blows people's minds. Yeah. They have no concept of this. It, it, it just, it's which very is so binary. silly because, like, come on. It's everywhere, like, right? Like, it's like elderly they're like, people. They're not, they're ambulatory wheelchair users. Like, why is it, like, exactly, what? Exactly, It shouldn't be complicated. Um, so one of the things that's really interesting is Tinder has this algorithm now where you can let the app pick the order that your photos go in. Okay. And so when I let the Tinder algorithm pick my photos, the photo of me in the wheelchair is always the one that gets picked to be on the front of my profile. And I'm dying to know how the algorithm works. Is it is it like, is it the picture that people spend the most time on? Is it the one that they go back to look at? Like Yeah, I don't, like they because I'm picturing like like people on Tinder. I almost said dudes and I was like, that's not, that's very correct. People on Tinder who are like, oh, are they a wheelchair user? Are they like what? I'm so confused. Like I, I can see, you know, that meme of that person trying to do that math equation. I can see <laughs> their brains like exploding. They're like, what? I don't understand. <laughs> Does not compute. Does not compute. <laughs> um, I've been really fortunate that I've only really had one person be a major asshole. Tell me the story. And, I'm so ready. Oh god. Oh my god! Look, I feel like I have to pull it up because it was just—it was so yeah. You do. You do. Ridiculous. <laughs> I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling it up. So ready. Okay. So hopefully I didn't. Hopefully I didn't block this guy. Anyways, he was just like, "So tell me about why you're in a wheelchair," and I was like, "Really? That's like what you're leading with? That's what we're he starting." He led with, with that. Like, he didn't even start high. He led with that. Ugh. No, he led with good morning. And then was, so tell me about why you're in a wheelchair. And it was like, can't we, like, can't we talk about, like, my profile, I'm fascinating. I'm a fascinating human. I'm a freelance writer. I'm a former mortician. I'm a photographer. But you have to lead with why are you in the wheelchair? Yeah, like. But then when I expressed frustration, 
Uh, he said, can you tell me about the wheelchair? Is it an injury or a social experiment? Ew! <laughs> what is that? Oh, come on. So he he was trying to suggest that you were, quote, transabled? I guess so. I guess That you were, so. like, testing out the wheelchair to see if it was sexy for you or something? Which it is, but not because you were like, I want to be disabled and trip up. <laughs> I don't. I, I'll... What is even social experiment? Yes, yes, I am subjecting myself to difficulty going out to dinner on a regular basis. I'm immersing myself in ableism for the fun of it because that's what I'm. Because no, people. oh, it just makes my face want to melt. So then I was like, okay, so that's what you're leading with. And his response was, I could always be more traditional and send you the trusted dick pic. And I was like, whoa. Well, not going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, on the apps that I go on, like Grinder and Scruff, a dick pic yeah. is literally hello. Like, it's a very different community. Like, a dick pic is literally like, hey, here's my cock. What's up? Maybe you want to suck it to me. Like, yeah. But, like, on traditional dating sites, it, you that's don't send that off. Rude. 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 I can send that bullshit. No. So, like, have you. Have you been in places where, like, you pull up in your wheelchair and then be like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to walk instead, and people are, like, freaking out? I haven't done that yet. I did go on a date last week, I guess the week before, two weeks ago, with a gentleman who was very, uh, he was very sweet. He said, I know of a place with really good curb cuts. And I was like, oh, you know what curb Aww, cuts Oh, you, like, tried. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> Yeah, that was cute, actually. It was cute. It was a good date, too. Oh, that's um, awesome. Curve cut guy, I, I approve of you. Good for you, curve what? cut guy. I said, curve cut guy, I approve of you. Whoever you are out there, yes. Absolute, absolute keeper. Absolute keeper. <laughs> um, I used to, after I had foot surgery, I was on, like, one of those little wheelie things, you know, that you, you rest your foot on one of them, and then you push sort of like a scooter with yeah, your other foot. yeah. Um, and I used to show up in that, and that was like, people would just shut down. They would just end the date really quickly, or it would be super awkward, or they just would not know how to handle it. Same with the cane. People are just strange. Close their minds. Why is the cane so scary? It's a little thing. It's like so non... I mean, why? I don't understand. <laughs> so innocuous. I don't know. Maybe they're afraid of what I'm going to do with the Maybe or maybe they like want you to do things with them and they're afraid to like <laughs> feel about it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to do a check in after I've done a little bit more dating, and uh, we'll have to see. Yeah, how that go. We'll have to have you come on back again and just be like, so yeah, I did five dates, and here's the shitty stuff that happened. Here's the great stuff. But seriously, curve cut guy, such a keeper. Like that's that's good for you for knowing the lingo. Yeah, he's a good one. He's a, well, and I do have to say that my current partner, like, whew, he sets the standard very high. You know, he's the one who, like, he he puts my wheelchair together before I get out of the car. He like makes sure that the tires are full. He's he's very very good for a non-disabled dude. He's he's pretty magical. Like I love magical unicorny like people that get you, and I also love that when people are learning about your disability and they're trying to help and they don't really know what they're doing but they're trying. 
I think yes. that is so sexy because I'm like, you don't know what you're doing and you're kind of failing everywhere, but to watch you try and to know you don't care and you're going to try anyway because you want to spend time with me is one of the sexiest things that I've ever seen anyone do. Fully agreed. Fully agreed. We were going to go out to trivia last night and uh, we heard back from the people that we were meeting up with that it was fairly inaccessible. And so my partner was like, yeah, okay, so we're not going, you know, if they if they can't get their acts together, then we're just not going to show up, and it was like, oh, my I love heart. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where are you based again? Uh, I'm in the Bay Area, Oakland. Nice, super jealous, I want to come there, um, because I know Very this, cool. because I know this now, anyone in the Bay Area who wants a speaker, hire me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we can meet in person. <laughs> that would be incredible. Someone hire me to come out there. Um, shameless plug. Shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm trying. Tell me about. So you also wrote about about sex, disability, and pain in your questionnaire. Yeah. You wrote about endometriosis and fibroids and cysts and all that stuff. So aside from your EDS, which means at any point when you're getting penetrated with the person, your hips could dislocate. Super fun. Yes. Um, yeah. Awesome. Ugh, the visual still creeps me out. But so, like, <laughs> how do you also deal with, like, oh, I have a cyst and that hurts? Like, how do you deal with all of this pain when you are trying to get laid? You know, it's interesting because I feel like the EDS pain and the joint pain are really manageable, and the endometriosis pain is much less so. Um, so, it's been about a year. I was on hormonal birth control for a really long time, and then I did a 23andMe genetic profile and it's something called a Leiden Factor 5, which is a blood clotting disorder. And Fun. went to my doctor and was like, oh shit, we didn't know this existed. Let's do some blood testing and see if this genetic profile is right. And so came back where they were like, yes, you do have a significantly increased uh, risk of throwing a clot. So you probably shouldn't be on the type of birth control that you are currently on. So, okay, got off the birth control, and then they were like, okay, well, here's the other option for birth control, except for if you use this type of hormonal birth control, it makes your joints even more lax. And I was like, well, that's not an option. Motherfucker, like, how are you supposed to, like... (laughs) So, hormonal birth control is not an option for me. Um, And going off of the hormonal birth control, I've always had really shitty periods and really shitty, like unpredictable cycling and it's always been garbage but it turns out that being on the birth control actually did offer a level of control uh, that does not exist anymore and so it sent my body into overdrive and it made it so that I had to deal with the fallout of cysts and fibroids. Uh, I went in for a laparoscopy. I always say that word wrong. Laparoscopically? Laparoscopy is way better. Laparoscopy. It sounds kind of dirty, doesn't it? It really does. Lasper, (laughs) lasca. I can't even say anymore. Laparoscopy. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Lasca. Yeah. Sounds like something you do in a dungeon. (laughs) Yes, please. Somebody can laparoscopy with me. I'm all right with that. We did a laparoscopy last month, and they found uh, endometriosis, which is when the uterine tissue that's inside of your uterus invades. Usually, it, it goes on your 
reproductive organs. For me, it was all up in my entire abdominal cavity. Um, and then I also had fibroids, which are usually in your uterus, but mine were in my fallopian tubes. So they took out one fallopian tube, and a fibroid is a benign tumor. Um, that something like 30% of all femmes will have fibroids by the time they're 35, and 80% of them will have them by the time they're 60. Like, the numbers are huge, but we never talk about them. Wow. That's, we know why. Yeah, because yeah, cause doctors are dickheads. Hashtag boom. Um, oh, that's a conversation itself. What do you think about <laughs> yeah? Let's get. What do you think about that hashtag? Because I gotta say, I love it. Uh, you know, I think that it at least finally got a whole bunch of doctors to pay attention in ways they never have before. Yeah. So. And I, if it's accomplished that, then fuck it. Kim Sauter, you're awesome for creating. Badass. Like you're such a badass. <laughs> props to you, because wow. Uh, <laughs> props. Yes, yes. Yes, I can't snap because I have no dexterity, but I'll let you do it for us both. That's all right. I'll snap for both of us. Um, so, long story short, at the end of stuff, basically, I, I deal with a whole lot of pain, and it has really, really sucked with my sex life for the last year, and it's made penetration difficult, and it's made it so that when I orgasm, I'm in pain, and it sucks. Every bit of it sucks. So, when you, when you come, it hurts? Yeah, it's the worst thing in the universe. Oh, no. What does it feel like? Uh, it's a really, really sharp pain. Like, I don't, you know, like when you orgasm and you get to sort of ride the wave of an orgasm? Yeah, but you're riding a knife this blade. Pain, this pain is like riding into a concrete wall. Like, you just, like, <laughs> slap the wall and you're just, like, overwhelmed by how much it hurts. Fuckery, that's no fun. So, like, and you you mentioned earlier that you know giving blowjobs is not, or giving oral sex, is not really like easy for you. So basically, a penetration hurts and blowjobs are hard. Like, what, what kind of like how have you adapted yeah. your sex to incorporate all this stuff? You know, it's it's interesting because the I, I felt really betrayed. <laughs> it's. It, I've always been a really, really sexual person, and so I I didn't think that this was how my body was going to betray me. I sort of felt like, all right, we've got all this other shit going on. At least let, at least let me have my sex life, right? Like, don't fuck with that, and I'll deal with everything else, and it'll be good. And so I've really had to work through, like, deep feelings of betrayal this year. Um, and a lot of it has just been focused on... A, getting a diagnosis and B, a solution. So I have a hysterectomy scheduled for next month. Um, That's big. But it, yes, it, it is big, especially at 31. Um, but I, I'm sending honestly, you all the really support. Hard. Like that's that's big. Thank you. It's it's been really challenging. It's been a really challenging year, and my sex life has not been what I want it to be. And it's been frustrating and difficult to talk about and and it sucks because you're you don't talk about this stuff right like nope nope so like what okay you just mentioned that like it's not your sex life is not what you want it to be what if you could take everything away all the pain all the stuff all the, like what is your ideal like ace is getting down with the person what's what does that look like to you oh god so, I mean, it used to be, like, I, I, if I could have sex at least once a day, 
That would have been Fuck excellent. off. I would die for sex once a day. Would, would be die. amazing, right? Yeah. Would be amazing. Um, let's see. If there was nothing... I mean, it kind of depends, you know? Sometimes it's all about the romance and about sensuality and even just about, like, a lot of making out beforehand. Sometimes making out is my jam. It's my favorite thing to do. It's the best. It's, it's my the, favorite it's thing to do. It's so underrated. I feel like like people do not understand how... People who don't understand are the ones who are like, yo, I don't kiss. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, see you later. Yeah, like, Never. bye, there's the door. Thanks for coming out. Nice try, though. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get dinner, right? Because, because uh, I'm not paying for this bullshit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, I have definitely found that uh, BDSM, especially impact play, is actually really something that sort of helps me be focused in my body. Um. You know, yeah, you're like the third guest that's told me that BDSM is a great kind of disability release for them. And for me, yeah. too, I started actually, true fact, I started with a partner a few weeks ago, and I said, choke me. And he was like, well, uh -huh. I can't, what do you mean? And I was like, put your hand on my neck and push. And he was like, am I going to hurt you? And I was like, I don't know, try, and I'll stop you, and let's see. And so we did, and he pushed not super hard, but hard enough to give pressure. And I think when you're disabled like we are, and your body is so fuckery at any point, pressure, yeah. like, constant pressure feels really good. Yeah. Well, so I actually, I just wrote this article for the establishment about tattoos and pain, and I was learning about the pain gate theory. And so the pain gate theory is that essentially if you have a, a, a feeling of pain, Right, and it, it it moves along like the pain highway of your spinal cord at a certain speed to get to your brain. Yeah, and if you if you interrupt that feeling like with another feeling like pressure or like impact, that sort of speeds really it speeds faster to your brain, and it sort of cuts ahead of the pain feeling. Um, so like, like, for example, if you smack the shit out of your elbow on the corner of something, you rub it, right? And so the idea of rubbing it is that you're, you're putting another sort of, of feeling in the way of the pain feeling. And so it lessens the pain feeling. And so I suspect that the idea of impact play or choking or so many of the other things that happen with BDSM are part of the pain gate theory where they're sort of subverting our normal pain symptoms and our pain oh, yeah. signals. And it's, it's also, it's back to the stuff we you said earlier about power. It's giving you the agency to be like, I want to be hurt yes. consensually and know that no matter what happens, I'm getting out of here and I'm safe. Yep, yeah. Having pain that you have control over, especially when you're used to pain that you have no control over, I, I, there's a huge mental high off of that. Oh, that yeah. It gives me, me it gives exactly. me like mental boners all the time when I think about that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mental boners. I love it. That's all the time. Perfect. Like, yes. emotional, mental, like so much. And like, no, I had this partner. Not only did they choke me, they're really into nipple play and they'll hurt my nipples. It hurts. But I have to tell you, it feels so good when they're on top of me and I don't get it. I don't get it. We have a, a game where I don't have a choice. You're going to do yep. it. I'm going to let you. And I feel the most safe. Yeah. It's amazing that our, our brains and our bodies are 
into that and that it feels good for us. So good. So uh, I'm hoping so much of this year has been about one of the things that I really didn't want to do is I didn't want to, I didn't want to force myself through painful sex and then build up sort of an association in my brain of, okay, well, if you're going to have an orgasm, then it's going to hurt. And so yeah, my and solution in many ways, right? Like that sucks because then what you do is your body is geared up for hurting. For pain. So you automatically clench and you're like tight because it's hurting you. Right. Right. So you sort of create a cycle. Um, so I'm really hoping that after I do the hysterectomy, I'm going to go see like a, they have pelvic pain doctors who help with this stuff. And so now that I have the diagnosis and I've done the surgery, next year is going to be about, okay, so how do I, now that I've handled all of the, the stuff on my end, how can I approach sex in a way where I sort of like get to relearn how to do this and, and relearn how to feel comfortable in my own body and relearn, you know, how to enjoy sex and orgasm. Don't and you wish they had like sexual physical therapists? Don't you wish they had, that was a thing? You know, I just, the puritanical bullshit that comes along with America. And oh, not just America. It's not garbage. just America. It's in it's in Canada too. It's it's here. Like well, yeah, that makes sense. The systems of like I wish that I could say to a physio, like I want to fuck. Teach me how to fuck. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I have not been to one yet, but I've heard that. So if you go to the pelvic pain. Uh, PT specialists, they're doing, like, they're helping you build, like, your pelvic floor muscles. Like, they'll put fingers inside of you and they'll help you learn how to strengthen those muscles. And I, I haven't, I have not been yet because I want to get the surgery done first, but I've heard that that's probably real close to what you're talking about. Yeah, I've heard that too, but what I haven't heard is, like, I've heard people go there and do that pelvic floor stuff. I very rarely hear them say, "Yeah, I talked to the doctor and or the PT, and we had a we had a full on discussion about my fuckability as a disabled person." Like, I wish that that would be more of a thing we were talking about. God, especially as a disabled person, but and this weird mindset of desexualizing disability is just so. I love it though because that's why I have a job. Like. That's why I'm working. <laughs> so go ahead and think that all you want, and then hire me to like blow your mind when I tell you you're wrong. Uh, so I was working for a um, a publishing group earlier this year, and they had hired me to write sort of a, a teen aged book about sexuality and learning about sex as a teenage as a disabled teenager. And so they hired me, obviously, because disability and disability rights and all the work that I do. And it was such a fight through the entire thing. Like, I would, like, I wrote the whole book and I wrote it, um, you know, disabled person instead of person with a disability yeah. through the entire book. And the editor came back and was like, okay, well, you have to change all of this. And I was like, no, no I refuse to change all of this. We're not, we're not doing... Like, this, I choose to speak this way for a reason. And it was, like, a huge fight where I had to be like, by the way, if you are not going to let me move forward with this, then I'm going to pull the book. Like, I refuse to write this book. Yeah. Um, and I it just went on and on, you know, about how 
the cyclic cycle of people who are disabled, disabled kids, disabled teenagers, not getting the same sex education that everybody else gets, being the reason why these kids don't have access to this information. And so the editors were just like trying so desperately to get me to not be, you know, so overtly sexual and not so blatantly clear and th- and I'm like, 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 what did you hire me for? Yeah, I'm what not did you think you were doing? Of- what did you think we were talking about? Like, why am I he- Why am I the one you picked? Did you not read my stuff or did you not hear my? Like, for me, it's like, did you not listen to like one through a hundred of my podcasts where I explicitly lay out like who I am and what I do? Did you not listen to any of that? Because that's who I am. I've made it very clear and very obvious. It's not like it's not like it's a secret. Yeah, it's not like I hid it from you. This is who I am. Yeah, it's just infuriating. Everything about it is so frustrating, and I'm just really glad that you're doing it. I hope, I hope, I, I like dream of a lifetime. I dream of being 70 years old and and not having this be such an issue where you know, like you're out in public and and there's no weird questions about like, oh, how do they fuck? Can they fuck? Like. It, yeah, isn't yeah. It, isn't it weird how these questions will come up on come up to somebody on like the elevator or on like the you're just having your day and all of a sudden someone's like, hey, yeah, so your genitals do they work? What? What? And what? Uh, and like, what if I said no? Would I be less of a person if they didn't? Right. Like. Well, it, it, this idea of fucking binariness again, you know that that sex is just penetration or that sex is just male ejaculation like sex is so much more than that sometimes with the partner and with my current partner that i'm working with and he he's an awesome sex worker and we have a really good time worth every penny um um and so we work together and i sometimes most of the time i don't come and neither does he but we have a really good time together and it doesn't it doesn't bother me that i don't it really doesn't I just enjoy being with him, and whatever goes from there is great. Yeah, and that should be the, the priority of sex. Shouldn't be like the the finish line isn't orgasm. You haven't failed if you both haven't orgasms. The finish line is having a mutually enjoyable experience where you both walk away feeling good. Yeah, but I think more than depending. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so much more. Um, <laughs> but when you're a disabled person, the idea of like not finishing and that idea of failure is so much I think anyway for me in my experience as a disabled man who has all these expectations of able-bodied queer men put on me that Uh I can never meet and then when I can't even come it's like oh fuck I can't do anything I can't move my body and I can't even ejaculate for you when I want to shit I failed yeah and that's a really hard that, that idea of failure in the bedroom. I mean, I definitely have have felt that way over the last year. I mean, okay, so I can't I can't be penetrated. I can't, you know, perform oral sex. I can't orgasm. Yeah, it's really hard to not feel like a failure. <laughs> totally, and I've been, I've been exactly where you are, and I I, I, I totally understand because I can't I can't masturbate. I can't self pleasure anymore because my, the muscles in my hands are too tight. So, like, mm-hmm. did you sit with your primary partner when you, like, were having these feelings, and did you work it through, or was it something you kind of internalized? How did how did you handle all those feelings of failure? I think I did a lot of internalizing to begin with, 
um, especially because I didn't have answers and I didn't have a diagnosis. Um, and we've been a lot better about communication recently because, because if you're not communicating, I mean, you're just, it, it's a detriment to, to each other and to the relationship. And then you have all of these feelings of resentment that can build up and all of these feelings of like, you're guessing about what the other person is feeling. And it's just like, fuck it, talk about it, get it out on the table, work through the hard shit. And that's so much better and more healthy than, than internalizing all of it. Um, that's not to say I don't still. I mean, yeah, I have a lot of really complicated feelings about fertility, about my ability to reproduce biologically, even though I wasn't going to do that because of my disease and its heritability rate. Like, yeah, it's really fucking complicated. I feel like I just need, some days I feel like I just need one therapist just to deal with my sex life over the last year. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, so, that's so much stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many feelings yeah. to like sift through and sit through. Um, but and I think it's not that abnormal. I think there's a lot of people who are dealing with that shit, you know? Oh, yeah. There, I mean, there's so many of us, but I think it's compounded when you are told that your body isn't the same and you know, mm-hmm. like, deep inside your soul that your my body's not the same. Like, sure, we can intellectualize how it's okay to be disabled and how, like, I'm a person, like, I have value. We can, we can, we can theorize about that all day and we're not wrong, but the emotional response of that is like, fuck, I can't come because it'll hurt. I can't fuck because, and this means I have failed this person. So, like, you talked earlier about how your primary partner is really supportive. How did he, uh, how did he navigate all that with you? It was really hard for for him too. Um, I think both of us sort of shut down. I think he did a lot of internalizing about things because, especially as the non-disabled partner, you know, there's this fear of like, well, am I going to say something that's going to hurt their feelings? Am I going to like, this is already a sensitive subject. Am I going to step all over and like turn this into a bigger level of bullshit by saying something like if I have feelings about this, is this going to hurt my partner? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was incredibly supportive. I mean, he's been at every doctor's appointment. Um, you know, he was the one who took care of me through the last surgery. He's going to take care of me through the next surgery. Um, but it's still hard. I mean, there's definitely been, space between the two of us and a part of that is just like I think there's an inherent space that builds up when you're not being physically intimate with your partner like especially if you were physically intimate beforehand and yeah. and things change so you know I think we're we're better than we've been um, but I think it's still a work in progress I'm not going to say we're like magically perfect and everything's great it's still fucking hard for both of us yeah i mean disability is hard for everyone but i think what's really interesting about what you said is that like it does take a toll on the partner and it's we need to start talking about it more as disabled people to say like hey my non-disabled partner has feelings about this and some of the stuff they say might be ableist and might be weird and might be seemingly inappropriate but they need a space to talk about it so Uh like I'm not saying we have to give them space, but we should find a way to give them room to be like, yeah, this pisses me off because... Yeah. 
Yeah, right. well, and I think, like, and I get that not only in the microcosm here, but sort of in the big, you know, there's this big push within the, the community to make sure that, that we're speaking for ourselves and that we're speaking on the experience of disability and it's not carers or teachers or people speaking for us. But I, I think that there is still value in those feelings, those emotions, those experiences, like, and, and I don't think that shutting those down or out completely, I don't think that that is successful for anyone. I don't think no. it's successful for us or for them. No, I think those, I think there is value there. And I think we need to listen to that. And we need to say, here's, you know, this is your, this is your, this is, you get, you get this spot. Tell uh-huh. me all, tell me your feelings and let's go from there. And sure, yeah. you're going to say stuff that's ableist and you're going to say stuff that's tough to hear maybe, but say it, go on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really fucking important to give them the space to do that. And yeah, to recognize like, you're probably going to say some shit that's going to piss me off and I have to leave space for that. Yeah. And that's, that's okay. Cause we have, and I have a tendency to be like, Oh, what you said is ableist. And then it's like, well, yeah, maybe it was, but what was underneath that? Like what, mm-hmm. what was the underlying thing you meant to say? And I think the more we admit that we're ableists and go from there, all of us, myself included, um, yeah. and go from there, things, these conversations that seem so hard might get better. Yeah, I think so much of, of what is going on today in a lot of ways is that we have this culture, you know, we have this very call-out culture, and we don't necessarily have a culture where people have the space to fuck up yeah. and learn from their fuck-ups and be corrected. And, like, obviously there are a lot of people out there who are just fucking assholes, and they don't want to learn, and they don't want to be gentle. Yeah. Those aren't the people that I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think that there are a lot more people out there where if you meet the thing that hurts you with with a level of, of space and, and gentleness and a, a desire to, to teach and be open... And obviously, that requires a lot of emotional labor from you as the disabled person. Um, but I do think that that is oh, it's a more effective way to teach and to change minds. Yeah, I'm getting to a place in the work I do where I think, because we talk a lot in disability circles, we talk a lot about emotional labor. And we always say how hard it is for us as disabled people to expend that labor. Part of me is like, yeah, you're right, but you can't use it as an excuse not to try to expend some emotional labor yeah yeah it's a I think we're so used to being hurt that we either don't want to experience the feeling of hurt at all or we sort of want to hurt back right yeah you want to lash out yeah exactly but really all you're doing there is you're just perpetuating the same cycle, right? Yeah. Except for instead of being on the bottom, now you're on the top. Yeah. And so the shittiest and most difficult part of actually changing the world is being able to sit in your hurt and, and giving space to your hurt and recognizing your hurt and also not lashing out in anger. And that's, it's really fucking hard. It's so hard. It's so fucking it's hard. It's the hardest. I can't. I don't know how people do I don't know how people do it. Like, I, like, because 
I, but I am trying to do it more to be less like, okay, don't be, don't, don't get so mad. Just let it be yeah. what, what it is. Yeah. That's why I have Stay Weird, Be Kind tattooed on my knuckles. I love that branding and I love that you, I love that that's something, and then that's something you kind of like adopted or created. Did you create it or was it adopted? I created it, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. My, my mantra, it's, uh, it, I, I have a temper. Uh, I, I, I am an angry person, like at my core, I am an angry person and I have been for a really long time, like. Like, I have a lot of anger about a lot of fucking things. And so I have to, it's a very conscious choice for me to be kind. And I don't always succeed. It's so funny because your voice is a little bit higher and you present kind of like, you present kind of feminine and thin. And if I didn't, yep. if I didn't know you, I'd think, oh, they're, you know, a gentle, nice person. So to hear you be like, <laughs> to be like yeah. at my core, I'm an angry person. But I think so many of us with disabilities would agree with you. At my core, even like I did a talk this morning where I was mm-hmm. jovial and funny and made the jokes and did my job and put the smile on where I had to and had an audience full of people laughing with me. But in so- at the very beginning, on the, in the disclaimer, I said, my job today is to make you uncomfortable. And I hope it, I do. Yeah. My job today is to be yeah. angry. Like, you can be angry and do great things, Like, which is why I love yeah. what you're doing because you, that anger as a disabled person has fueled kind of what you're doing now yeah yeah and i think there's a lot of reason to be angry as a disabled person you know the world is still really fucking unfair it's inaccessible there is a lot of discrimination there's a lot of lack of of inclusion i mean even in like the major movements of inclusive feminists now i mean we are we are so frequently it's not even included you know the marches aren't accessible we don't have basic accessibility included in things and there's a lot of reason to be angry there's a whole lot of reason to be pissed off yeah and so you have to balance that because i think if you if you just sit in that anger all the time you're going to immolate yourself you know you will just burn yourself down you can sit in it but sit there and do something with it, like sit in it, sure, but use it as your fuel for something great. Like, like yep. th- this podcast and all the stuff I do is based around that I'm angry that you didn't see who I was, so here I am. Mhm. Absolutely, and that's a huge fucking thing. Like, it's a game-changing, life-changing, super fucking important. It's so important to 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 use that anger for something, and. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that you get people all the time. I woke up this morning and one of my favorite messages that I got on Twitter is I had written this article for io9 about uh, inaccessibility in science fiction and how there's too many staircases in space. Oh, yeah, I saw that article, but I didn't realize it was attributed to you. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was a really fun article. And so there was somebody who tweeted today and was like, I completely rewrote a giant scene in the piece that I'm working on because I read this article and it was like, oh shit, there's a whole bunch of staircases. And so, like, when you get to look at the direct repercussions of what you've done with your anger and how you've used it to, to change things, like, that's fucking awesome. How would you use your anger to change our discussions around sex and disability? Or how have you done? Well, 
really not a book. So the book ended up not going to print, um, the sexuality book, which I'm bummed about. But I'm hoping I have to hold off for a year before I can write anything in the same genre because I signed a contract. Um, but I think just being angry enough to say, I'm, I'm here, like I'm here. And, and not only am I a sexual being, I want to fuck. I want to be fucked. I want to have the experience of sexuality. And I'm going to sit here and yell about it until you pay attention to me and stop yeah. pushing me off to the sidelines. Like, and if my jaw dislocates when, when I'm blowing you or my hips dislocate when you're fucking me, that's okay. I'm still. <laughs> Right, right. It's still a, a fun, mutually enjoyable sexual experience, and we have to be able to keep talking about consent and keep talking about mutualism to make that an okay thing. Totally, and I completely agree. And I think, I, you know what? I think disabled people should go out and have angry sex with a partner, particularly with a non-disabled person. Fuck, mm-hmm. uh, fuck an able-bodied person out of sheer. Just, I'm mad at you for being an able body. Yeah, I want to. I want to fuck you because I'm mad at you and your able bodiedness. So f- let's do the things. <laughs> it's like, like, uh, shit. That needs a that needs a special name. You know how you have like breakup sex and makeup sex. That needs a special name. Yeah, it does. And I was gonna say crip up, but that's not. Doesn't go. Huh. Huh. Accessibility, ableism, able. I don't know. Able, I don't know. Able what? fucking. Able, dis- able, able fucking. Able fucking. <laughs> I'm going to able fuck you now. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And I love the idea. I agree. I think it's genius. So good. This was such a fun conversation. I could talk to you for like another hour because you're just one of my favorite people now. Um, but. I feel the same way. <laughs> you're just so awesome. Like so, It was so fun to talk to you. And thank you for sharing all the things about your life and for being a guest because I love guests on the show because it means I don't have to do a lot of work. I can just go, mm-hmm, tell me more. So that's <laughs> fantastic. Um, but I love a, it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for doing the fucking amazing work that you do. The I, world is a better place for you in it. Oh, well, thank you. My heart just swelled like a, a million pieces. It's so great. Thank <laughs> you. Um, I love your work and I want people to follow you and to follow you on the on all the places. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, I am all around the internet as Mortuary Report, like M-O-R-T-U-A-R-Y, like a mortuary. Um, And my website is stayweirdbekind.com. I love that so much. I'm going to put all your stuff in the podcast show notes so people can hear, can can click and just go there. But everybody listening should go there. Ace Radcliffe, you're fantastic and thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yay. Yay! Alright, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. 
And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do do things like get better equipment. You help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Udiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Crippled Content Creations 2018